You're listening to the Menopause Movement Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. If you haven't taken advantage of the Menopause Movement beta course yet, you can sign up at menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones. We offer this $500 beta course at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials. Now, we normally require a lengthy application to join the course, but because you're a podcast listener, you can skip the application and go straight to the course. Now, if you've always wanted to understand your hormones and manage your menopause naturally, this course is for you. We simply just ask for your feedback and testimonials so that we can improve the course and of course, eventually sell it. So just go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones to sign up for this program so that you can start to step out of that mental muck that has kept you stuck. I look forward to seeing you. Today on the podcast, we welcome Diane Winger. After two decades as a successful psychotherapist, Diane reinvented herself as a coach. After her midlife diagnosis of ADHD, Diane learned that the fastest growing group of adults being diagnosed with the condition are women over 40, and that menopause has a lot to do with it. Now in her sixth decade, Diane is continuing to learn, evolve, and defy her own limits while helping others to do the same. She has a particular fondness for coaching driven but distracted women who are audacious enough to start their own businesses. She's the host of the Driven Woman podcast, and you can find it on all popular podcast platforms. During the podcast, we talk about Diane's menopause story and her discovery of her own ADHD, how ADHD can be the core problems and perhaps the underlying root of things like anxiety and depression in midlife, what gender bias is in the diagnosis of ADHD, the common myth and misunderstandings of ADHD, how menopause is so disruptive it grabs your attention, the choice to recommit, reinvent, or reject our current life during menopause, the role rejection plays in our self-image, and stay to the end to find out how imposter syndrome can be a symptom of ADHD and how to overcome it. At the end of the episode, visit drmichellegordon.com forward slash podcasts, where you can find the show notes, plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy the episode, subscribe to the podcast so that you're always the first to know when each episode is released. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please review the podcast. If you haven't yet, what are you waiting for? Please take the time to review the podcast so that more women can find it. More reviews help the more women to find it and get the help they need during the disruption of menopause. And I truly believe that no one should have to go it alone. So thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. And today we're going to talk to Diane all about ADHD and the diagnosis of ADHD in midlife. <music> Diane, welcome to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, why don't you just, you know, tell us a little bit? I, I'd like to know your story. I, you know, I did give the listeners your midlife diagnosis of ADHD a little bit on your bio, but what I'd like to hear from you is really what your story is. What led you to start really going into that ADHD kind of thing? Well, as you said, things really started getting rocking and rolling for me right around the time of menopause. I, by that time, had already been in my third career for quite a while. I had a private practice as a psychotherapist in Southern California. All three of my kids demonstrated ADHD traits, 
the oldest, a boy from a very early age. So he was diagnosed at eight. The second boy was never formally diagnosed, but it's well understood within the family. And my daughter, not until early adulthood. I learned so much about ADHD from my own kids. And then I started noticing it in my private practice, not among people who carried the diagnosis, but among women, particularly women over 40, Mm -hmm who had been diagnosed either, well, mainly by other therapists or their primary physician, their obstetrician or a psychiatrist with anxiety disorders, depressive disorders. Some of them had eating disorders. Some of them had addictive issues. But as I got to know them better, I started realizing there's something driving the anxiety, driving the depression, driving these other issues. What is that? And I'm a really curious human, as most folks with ADHD are. What I uncovered time and time again was it's not that they were misdiagnosed. It's that they developed these other problems as a result of unidentified, undiagnosed, and unmanaged ADHD. And as I saw that more and more and more, I realized, I think this is me too. Now, this is kind of, I think, ridiculous and fascinating. Here I am, a licensed therapist, and a pretty good one, I think. I've got kids with ADHD. I'm very good at uncovering ADHD in adult women who had never been identified before. And yet, I still didn't think it applied to me. And I think that's largely because there's so many misunderstandings, so many myths, and let's face it, so much stigma that I really wasn't eager to be addressed until I went through menopause. And because of the changes in hormones that also affect our neurotransmitters, I it came to the point, let's be honest, I could run, but I couldn't hide anymore. And then I officially got diagnosed by a child psychiatrist as a midlife woman and really thought, I know I'm not the only one. And there really isn't anybody with the right credentials addressing this. So I just went all in. Fascinating. Oh, that's that's really amazing. Now, you you sent, mentioned that, and I'd like to uncover this a little bit more, ADHD is a, a core problem, and perhaps it's the underlying core problem for problems like anxiety and depression. Can you just elaborate on that a bit? Yes, absolutely. The issue with women with ADHD is there's a lot of gender bias <laughs> with identifying, <laughs> like there is in almost every other area of life. But when, let, me just, let me just break in there, because one of the things that we discuss in in my in the menopause movement beta course, which which we we give away for uh, in exchange for feedback and testimonials, and at the beginning of this podcast and at the end of this podcast, we uh, we give you an opportunity to to join. But one of the things we talk about is how all the medical studies were done on men, and it wasn't until the early two thousands really that we started studying women, and we just took they they took a bunch of men and said this is what heart disease looks like. And in the early 2000s with the Women's Health Initiative and things like that, we started to see that a heart attack in a woman is very, very different from a man. And so we really do suffer from the effects of the patriarchy. And, and this is not me saying I hate men. I'm just saying that, that the physiology of a woman is very different from the physiology of a man. And it's so important for us to acknowledge that and to take action and advocate for ourselves there. I, I couldn't agree more. And as a matter of fact, There is gender bias across the board. There is gender bias in the identification of ADHD, and it starts in childhood. When you have a little boy who is hyperactive, impulsive, 
he disrupts the classroom and teachers cannot have that. Now, I have nothing against teachers. They have a tough job and it's getting tougher all the time. Mm -hmm. But managing a physical classroom of 25 to 30 kids and oftentimes without even an aid to help you with the physical management, any child who is an outlier for any reason, they are going to be a management problem. So little boys tend to be more hyperactive and impulsive. They get picked up and identified quickly. The parents are called, things get addressed, or they go to another school or what have you. Little girls, because of the difference in our physiology and because of the difference in our conditioning, our social conditioning, the social expectations, and I'm sorry to say, Society's expectations are that it's not as important for girls to perform well in any venue, including school. So a little girl who's socialized to sit still, be quiet, have a nice smile on her face, follow directions, and never be a problem is going to be quietly underachieving relative to her true potential. That's not a problem for the teacher or the classroom. So she goes unidentified. Later on in life, she recognizes that she has potential that's not being expressed and she cannot consistently do so, I'm getting depressed just thinking about it. So, of course, she's going to struggle with anxiety if she can't be consistent. She's going to struggle with anxiety because she's going to be trying to pass for normal. And she's going to be struggling with anxiety because keeping up with the increasing responsibilities as life progresses becomes more and more unmanageable. Eventually, that gives way to depression. And along the way, eating, drinking, smoking, using, shopping, whatever, you know, internet, whatever her instant gratification dopamine addiction becomes, takes the edge off. Right. So I I love this bit about unexpressed potential because I think a lot of women, and myself included, when menopause hit, I came into an existential crisis. I had a successful surgical practice. I was making a lot of money and I felt like I didn't know who I was. And I was like, well, was this all there is to my life? And I, I really did, had to do a lot of soul searching to say, you know, what is this? And as menopause hit me and I gained like 50 pounds overnight and I wasn't sleeping and I had all these like racing thoughts and, and crying at commercials. <laughs> yeah. All those <laughs> things that, that, that happened to me. I, I, I started looking for something. I was like, I was looking, is it, I did the Google, right? I went to Dr. Google because I, I went to my doctor yes. friends and my doctor friends are like, you just got to suffer through it. And I'm like, fuck that. Yeah. I don't want <laughs> I don't right? want to suffer through anything. And and so I said, okay, there's got to be, you know, there's the internet, right? There's right. got to be there's got to be a course somewhere that's going to help me get through it. And all I found was a bunch of research articles, which are fine, I can read those, but it was, you know, it was either scholarly articles or it was Wikipedia that was completely weird and 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 disjointed and not real and not difficult to follow. And I thought, well, wait a minute. If I'm having this much of a trouble and I'm smart, I know I'm smart, and I'm, you know, I'm a surgeon and I understand all this. I mean, what, what is it like for, for somebody who hasn't, you know, been through all the education I've had and how can I just make it easier? And so that's how the menopause movement was born. And just to ease the suffering of anyone who's going through menopause, any woman who's going through menopause, because at the end of the day, you know, this, this is a really weird time for us and we don't talk about it, right? It's like this secret society. It's still so ridiculously shameful. And I think 
our mothers didn't talk about it. And let's face it, this is also part of the patriarchy because mm. women are culturally conditioned to be nubile, you know, sexually available, interested in men and whatever. And once you go through menopause, I don't care how straight you are, your interest is probably going to change to something that's more relevant to you than trying to get your eyelash extensions on straight and your hair extensions and all that. The, have you ever seen the scene in, is it Frankie and Grace or Grace and Frankie, where it's a famous scene where Jane Fonda starts to remove yeah. all of her extra stuff and, and the man says, I'll take it. And every woman in the world says, I don't buy that. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going yeah. for that. I think there's a reason why our mother's generation called it the change of life, not the change of hormones. In my opinion and my experience and all the women I know, everything changes, not just mm -hmm. your hormones. It's everything. super disruptive. I mean, it's super, super disruptive. And that's why, I, you know, we're, 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 we're working really hard to, to get the word out and to help as many women as we can to kind of overcome this disruption and to get their lives back. Because at the end of the day, what happens is that we, we can, you know, really lose the sense of who we are. I mean, a lot of women, I mean, I've surveyed tens of thousands of women now, and, and there are common themes. I don't feel like myself. I want my old body back. I feel like I don't, I don't know who I am. I feel like an alien has beamed down and taken control of my body, my mind, my emotions and my moods. I mean, these are things that people say. And, and, and so, you know, and, and we, I developed this program and all the women who go through it have these amazing transformations to the point where, you know, it's not a weight loss program, but they lose weight and it's not a relationship program, but all their relationships are improved in their lives because they start to really look at how they are responsible for their own outcomes. And that's where the, that's where the, the change happens. And it's just so, it's so beautiful to watch. You know, I, I put it to my, to, you know, for myself and I, you know, I lost 50 pounds and that was great. But then when I started teaching it to others, it was like their, their reactions, their, their, I mean, to me, it just blows me away. The transformations that these women have, it's just amazing. Makes me feel good every day. Makes me know that I'm living my purpose. But it starts with knowledge mm -hmm. and understanding. And I think, you know, just sharing what you did about the comments that thousands of women make. I don't feel like myself. I want my old body. It, it is truly an identity crisis yes. Lost on alone. every level. Yes. Yeah. And Lost alone and lonely. Yeah. Yes. And I don't know who I am anymore. And, and nothing is more challenging when you feel like that than feeling like there's nobody to talk to. There's nowhere mm -hmm. to turn. And everywhere you turn, you're getting irrelevant, outdated, or frankly, misinformation. Mm -hmm. There's so much power in women joining together. But if you are a woman in midlife going through menopause or perimenopause and don't know anything about that, and you also don't know that you actually have ADHD and that that is what's been driving your anxiety and your depression, it definitely gets, I don't want to say worse, but the symptoms become more pronounced mm -hmm. at menopause. And in a way that can be a good thing because if they feel like I, I got to do something, I think I'm losing my mind. I think I'm losing my marbles. A lot of women tell me, I think I, I thought I had early onset Alzheimer's. Oh yeah. Literally. So if that drives them to start researching, to start listening to podcasts like yours and like mine, to start informing themselves with information and realizing I'm not broken and hmm. I'm also not alone. Yeah. There's help. There are resources. I can get information. That in and of itself, even before you make any behavioral changes, 
is so empowering because you realize there are answers. You're not trapped feeling this way. That's, a, that's, that's amazing. So I want to hear from you. What, what are the most common misunderstandings about ADHD in midlife for women? Well, it starts with the most common misunderstandings about ADHD, period. Okay. Number one, this is not just something that little boys have. Number two, it is not something that is outgrown at adulthood. When I first was going through my graduate training at UCLA, that was what was being taught. And all the patients that were being assigned to me were little boys. Well, I started beating their parents and I started asking questions of my supervisor saying, you keep telling me that they outgrow this, but the more parents I meet, the more I think, I don't think so. And I also think some of these moms... And they said, no, no, no. Well, I ended up doing my thesis on it. And uh, I believe that there are probably just as many females as there are males who have ADHD, but the presentation is different. And we tend to suppress the evidence or divert it in other ways, or we just settle for less in our lives because we think we're stupid. We think Mm -hmm. we're lazy. We think we're incompetent. Um, and we just don't try to be who we actually are because we don't know there's a solution. So once you reach midlife, a lot of women think it's just part of midlife that I feel more disorganized. I feel more distractible. I feel more uh, spacey. I feel more unmotivated. I can't keep track of things anymore. I'm losing things. I'm forgetting things. I'm missing appointments. Um I just generally don't have as much enthusiasm or energy. And um, and sometimes you have like little bursts of um, excitement and energy, and then they think, oh my gosh, I'm manic. Most women at midlife actually discover their ADHD because one or more of their kids are being identified. So that is the most typical at 40 to 50, they have a school-age kid because women are having kids later. So she may be 50 and have a Mm 12-year-old and the child is identified. And then if they have a good pediatrician or child psychiatrist who starts asking questions, then the mom will go, do you, I mean, do you, do you think this could be me too? And if they have, if they have a good doctor, they'll say, well, let's explore this. But most women I know discover it themselves because like you and like me, they think something is wrong. There has to be an answer. And if I can't find it from the authorities, I will find it myself. And they just keep on searching. So the more people like you and I are spreading the word, the more opportunities they have to find it. But I will say that the common misunderstandings that women will hear when they say, I think this might be me, and they share it with their partner or a friend, or even their doctor, they'll either be told, you don't have that, you're too high functioning. You don't have ADHD, uh, you're too old for that, or women don't have it, or most of the time I hear the too high functioning, or they'll, some will even be um, suspected of trying to get stimulant medication so that they can lose weight or do better at work. And so there's so many misunderstandings about it. And even when a woman speaks to her friends or her romantic partner, the two most common myths and misunderstandings she'll hear is, 
that doesn't exist. Or, oh, everybody has that. You just need to try harder, so, which is very de- defeating. Sure. Yeah. But, but I think, I think this really goes back to the, the fact that women are so dismissed at this age. Yes. And, and because the medical society, the medical establishment doesn't really care that much about menopause. And even, I mean, the GYNs will, you know, slap a patch on you or whatever. But for the most part, when when a woman comes in with the complaints that that have to do with menopause, all the doctors want to do is treat the symptoms. Yes. And because that's what we're taught. I mean, we're yes. taught that that you know treatment is symptom based. What if what if the real problem that we have in losing our hormones really comes down to this existential crisis? that that can happen with menopause and this is kind of what you're talking about here that that we have to really take a good hard look at ourselves because menopause is not a medical diagnosis you know despite what the medical establishment or the pharmaceutical companies or the supplement companies for sure right. want you to believe right menopause is not a medical diagnosis and that is always such a big aha for anyone who comes into my world, because it's like, oh, really? And you think about it, right? If you live long enough, you're going to go through menopause. 100% of the women who live long enough will go through menopause one way or another. So yes. you'll, go through it. you'll go through it either because naturally your hormones will stop being, you know, you won't be fertile anymore because that's part of our life cycle. Mm-hmm. Or, or you'll have an operation that will remove you know, your reproductive organs and that will make you, you know, go into menopause. And so you, you've got to look at what, what is actually happening. And I think there's a much, much bigger underlying psychological existential issue that comes at this age. That's my, my personal opinion. I, I totally agree. And I, I personally experienced Once I understood that what was happening to me was completely normal, mm-hmm. completely predictable by design. I mean, this is literally how the human organism is meant to function at this age and stage. I realized I needed to manage the sleeplessness and the sweating and the brain fog and all that, because clearly it was inconvenient to say the least. Sure. But it also sort of forced me to recognize a couple things that I hadn't really been paying close attention to. And as a person with ADHD saying that is almost comical, but I hadn't been paying attention to the fact that I was no longer young, but I was not yet old. And I think midlife and especially menopause, if you've managed to not be paying attention until then, menopause is so disruptive that it really demands your attention. And once you, (laughs) it it really does. It's quite, here we are. You really can't ignore it. And when something is that pervasive, when it's that all encompassing, you really do have an opportunity if you will see it as that to kind of slow your roll, reassess and ask yourself the questions, who am I now? And more importantly, who do I choose to become? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's so ironic when you think about it, that all the really important decisions that we're asked to make, at least here in Western culture, are made at an age and stage before we really know who we are and what we want. We are so subjected to so much cultural and feminine conditioning that the decisions we make about marriage, children, career, life cycle, lifestyle, income, where we're going to live, all those things, we make 
at a very early age when we're still under so much influence from our parents, from our peers, from whoever we might be dating, from where we go to college, that I think getting to menopause is a chance to say, okay, I need to reevaluate all of those choices and decide I either recommit, I reinvent, or I reject them and start over. You still have plenty of time to have a whole second adulthood that's by your design instead of default. So what did you say? Re- reinvent, reconnect? I think I said re, um, recommit. Recommit. Reinvent or reject. Like you have to, and a lot of women, I'm sure you know this, a lot of women who are straight and married choose to end a long-term marriage True. at this stage. The kids are grown and flown. The parents may have moved on. And then she's like, you know, I really don't think I want to do this anymore. It, in fact, it's the only age group where divorce is on the increase right now. Mm, wow. That's, and it makes, that, it makes sense, doesn't it? Well, it does make sense because of what we're talking about here with the existential crisis and, and the fact that, that it really is this like, it, it, it's like, okay, look at your life. Is it what you want? And, and the good news is, is that we can change anything we want to as long as we are able to manage our thoughts. That's I totally agree. Yes, you have to you have to grab a hold of your mindset. And I think for a woman who may be just questioning, I've always had difficulty with concentration and focus. I've always had difficulty with organization. I've always had difficulty with distractibility, impulsivity, but it seems to be getting worse. I don't necessarily think the solution is I better go see a doctor, get a diagnosis and get a prescription. I don't personally care for the women I work with to whether they want to be be diagnosed or not. Because to me, the only reason to have a diagnosis is because you want to seek a medical solution. Mm. It doesn't matter to me one way or the other. Some women choose to medicate as part of their ADHD management. Some women choose not to. There are many, many things you can do. But one thing is necessary that I teach all of my clients. Number one is radical self-acceptance based on true awareness. Like You have to know who you are and how you are to be who you are. Otherwise, you're going to keep trying to be someone and something else. We do not have a neurotypical brain. We have a neurodivergent brain. We need to work with the brain we've got and stop trying to conform to the norm and make it into the brain it isn't. It will never work. I teach how to create an ADHD-friendly life. And because I predominantly work with women who are self-employed, how to create an ADHD-friendly business. I love it. Most of us don't, and we end up living in a way that's out of alignment with how our brain actually works. Your brain is is command central of your whole being. Sure how, is. It, it really doesn't work yeah. to try to be someone you're not. And there are really wonderful ways to reconfigure your life, which sometimes require you to make some pretty drastic changes. Yeah. So you said neurodivergent and neuro... Neurotypical. Typical. So for those of us who aren't brain scientists in the same way as you, can you just just, of course. just define those for us? Okay. We've been talking about the patriarchy and talking about the fact that the world has been created by and for the benefit of men. Definitely. It has also been created by and for the benefit of the neurotypical. Neurotypical, and there's so much I love about this word, neurotypical basically just means the brains that function the way 90% of brains function. Okay. 
I like typical because typical just means that's what most people have. It doesn't mean normal. I don't believe that neurotypical is normal. I believe that all brains are normal. Some are more typical. 90% of them are typical. I am part of the 10% who are neurodivergent or neurodiverse. That also includes, it includes people who have ADHD. It includes people who are on the autism spectrum. It includes people who have OCD. It includes people who are bipolar. Um, our brains work differently. It doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong unless you adhere to that way of looking at things. They're finally realizing even in the workplace that, especially in creative fields, companies want to recruit, hire, and retain neurodivergent people because we are creative thinkers and visionaries. We are the ones that change the world because thinking outside the box leads, leads to solutions that don't fit in the box. The world actually needs us, but they shame us, blame us, and exclude us at the same time. Yeah, it's it's hard to be in a in a place where we feel we feel so so different. And you know, I was never a cool kid, and you know, I I was I was always on the outside of everything. And it wasn't until I actually started practicing what you mentioned, this radical self acceptance, that I was able to not give two craps about what anyone said and put myself out there. And that is what you know made the big difference. And I'm like, okay, this is what I got. This is who I am. And and you know, if you're attracted to me, awesome. I've got really great products, and I can help you. And and if you're not, you know, there's somebody else for you out there. And that's, that's like the best way to do it. Did that come for you post-menopause? That like radical saying, this is me, take it or leave it. It's all good. Uh, I think so. I mean, I, I was always, I was, al I was never really one to follow a crowd. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a surgeon, you know, how many, yeah. back, back when a I was a female surgery, surgeon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Back when I was doing surgery, there were mostly men and I had to yes. like fight with the men and I, I was so outspoken and, and I wasn't any different from the men in my in my residency. I just was more outspoken than any of the other women. Mm -hmm. And as a result, the, the director of my program tried to fire me. Yes. Thank God. Thank God for the, for the union or I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to, you know, start my business. But I mean, it was, it was blatant, blatant sexual discrimination. And I probably had, you know, would have been able to make, you know, make a lot of money on a lawsuit, but all I wanted to do was get out of there and start my practice. Mm -hmm. And, and it was just, it was really, it was really interesting. I mean, I, at the same time, I, I will say that my reaction to my traumatic childhood made me act in a certain way because of certain beliefs I had because of the way I was treated. And, and because of that, I was a bit harsh and alienating to people. And it mm -hmm. wasn't until, until maybe the last 10 years when I started really looking at all of my beliefs that I started to see, okay, this caused this and this caused that, and I don't have to believe this. And, and it's just been really, really freeing. And, and then being able to say, well, you know, I don't have to be a doctor if I don't want to, and it's okay to move and do something else. And so, I mean, it, it, the, the big step for me was I just completely stopped working as, as a doctor. And I do, I mean, I'm still a doctor. I'll always be a doctor. Mm -hmm. But now my mission is to help women end the suffering that comes with menopause. And that's really is aligned with my soul's purpose. And it feels a lot better than surgery ever did. Well, and you, you have mm -hmm. done what I teach my clients to do. You have created a life that aligns with you. You've like bent your world 
to your needs and your purpose and your preference. I think because of the way women are conditioned to believe that we need to seek permission and approval rather than to assert ourselves. And we're taught that we don't really know what we want. We kind of need to be told what we want. And so when we want something that others don't think we should want or others don't think we should have, like you're a woman and you want to be a surgeon, that's a man's job. Mm -hmm. Um, All of that, it, it does sort of alienate you. In my experience, most of us who feel criticized and rejected and misunderstood eventually become a little abrasive because it's almost like you're going to reject me sooner or later. Let's just get it over with. I'm going to provoke the hell out of you now. And let's, we can, let's just be done with this and go our separate ways. I should mention something else about ADHD that is becoming more widely known. It's probably 70 to 80% of adults with ADHD have a lot of emotional dysregulation. Meaning we make, uh, we tend to be more emotionally driven than rationally driven. And that has nothing to do with intellect. A lot of us are both gifted in ADHD. So we may have a very high IQ, but our emotions tend to dominate. And so I use meditation, exercise, many other things to help, you know, kind of what I say, drain the swamp, you know, get the emotions under control so I can make decisions from a rational place. But most people with ADHD have something called rejection-sensitive dysphoria. I don't like using the term RSD because I feel it's just adding one more set of freaking initials to those we already have, ADHD, OCD, you know, all this stuff. But rejection- Too many acronyms. Too many. It's But, but yeah. I do think it's important to understand if you have an ADHD brain, it is very likely that you have rejection sensitivity, meaning you may, and we tend to be very intuitive. So we may perceive that someone doesn't like us, doesn't approve of us, doesn't think we are good at what we do, doesn't like the way we dress, whatever it is, we may perceive that intuitively and react to it uh, without the person even saying anything. And so the reactions to anytime we feel judged, anytime we feel criticized, anytime we believe that we are being rejected on any level, we can be very reactive to that. So I teach a lot of techniques for people like questioning, like interrogating your mind, like you couldn't possibly know what another person is thinking. I understand you're intuitive, but you may also be wrong. And even if you're not, what good does it do you to lose your shit at work? Right. But um, the rejection sensitivity also causes a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression. You can see mm-hmm. how it could easily lead to eating, you know, overeating, compulsive eating, binge eating, drinking, substance use, but it can also lead to women pulling back, shrinking, hiding, playing small, and not sharing their gifts with the world in a bold, empowered, and direct way because of the fear of being judged and rejected, and especially with all the craziness that goes on in social media, you and I have both chosen to be who we are, to put ourselves out there and say, if you like it, awesome. If not, that's all good too. But that can be quite terrifying for someone who hasn't yet learned to manage rejection sensitivity because they mm. think, God, what if people, what if there are trolls? What if there are... There's always trolls. <laughs> There, there always have been because you know it's it's really funny because when, when you when you're able to get to a point of radical self acceptance, then what happens is is it's easier to say 
look, you know, I may not be for you. And as a matter of fact, I've got some ads running right now. It's uh, it's January. I don't know when this is going to air, but you know, we're running ads. And and a couple of days ago, somebody said, you know, do do you want my feedback? It might be really harsh. And will it be for me? And I said, listen, you know, we're offering this course in exchange for feedback and testimonials. That's why, you know, it's a good course. It has a lot of great information in it. But, you know, to be honest, it may not be for you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can still go through it. And all you have to do, the only quid pro quo is you just give me feedback and testimonials. And when you do that, you get this $500 course at no charge because, you know, this is this is how we we want to you know help help out as many women as we can. Yeah. And and she was like, wow, okay, that makes sense. I said, and you know, listen, we're going to give you an offer to to stay with us, and if if it's not good for you, I'm not for everyone. Yeah. It's yeah. okay. And 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 to to you know, so now when people say, oh, this is a scam, or oh, you're full of crap, or I'm just like, okay, great, that's another. I'm not for I you. To, yeah, I don't have to serve because yeah. because I'm not. You know, you're not my people. You're not my people. So and that's that's that was a big one to get over because remember when you're when you're in a business, right? When you're when you're in a in a business that you wanna you wanna grow, for example, and this isn't just internet marketing. This is any business. You know, mm-hmm. what percentage of people buy? You know, if you're lucky, you're going to get 5% of the people to buy. That means 95% of the people are going to reject you. And that's yes. okay. Yes. That's okay. Right? So, so you know, let's focus on the people that are resonating with your message. And, and, and you know, the rest of them, it just, it just means that it, it wasn't for them right now. It, just, it doesn't mean no. It just means not right now. And, and there's just so many ways to, to deal with rejection in a way that is empowering. I find it's extremely empowering yeah. to lean all the way in on who I am. You know, part of my ADHD is that I am very driven and I'm very easily bored and mm. I outgrow interests, hobbies, yeah. and people. Yep. And I used to be so ashamed of that. Now, I think it's on my website. I say, I've had three careers, three husbands, three kids, and three dogs. Apparently, I like threes. You know, and it's like, it's just, this is who I am. Like, if you want to look at my history and say, you know, she's been divorced twice, it's like, I'm going to put that shit right up front because if that's a problem for you, you can go now. Like, I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really empowering. But outspoken, intelligent, educated, direct, and empowered women are so threatening. And that's unfortunate, threatening to those who find that threatening. But for others, we are exactly who they want to hear from. Right. They're like, because Please, there's, there's a lot of people out there who, who really want to emulate that that behavior and want to see a role model who's going to you know help them move from where they are to where they want to be. And uh, trust me, it wasn't it wasn't easy for me. I mean, when I first opened my surgical practice, I, I for the first maybe two years, I was like, okay, are they going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing? When are they going to When are they going to find out? And then and then I sat down and I and I was busy. I was a really really busy general surgeon. And I said, well, let's let's evaluate this and see if it's really true. Mm-hmm. Do let's I know what I'm evidence. doing? Let's mm-hmm. yeah. Do I know what I'm doing or not? How many calls do I get in the middle of the night after I do an elective procedure? It's like, oh, okay. Almost none. Great. Mm. And how many times when you repair a hernia, do they come back and say that it's not, it, it wasn't repaired? And it's like, hmm, that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And how many complications have required you to transfer a patient or come, you know, get a consultant? Or and so then my confidence really shot up because I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I am not an imposter. I am the real deal. I had some good training, and I'm, you know, and I'm going to get better throughout the next, you know, several years. And that's exactly what happened to the point where I got where I was like, you know, I can fix anything. And that doesn't was, it, that doesn't was awesome. it make you doesn't it make you a little bit crazy though that imposter syndrome, imposter complex, whatever it's being called is almost universal for women, regardless of what their profession, their occupation, their level of training and education. I read an article in The Atlantic in, I think, 2018 called The Confidence Gap. Mm. It was fascinating and it totally pissed me off because basically it was quite a long article that iterated men will apply for a job when they meet 50% of the qualifications and will do so quite readily, quite confidently, and with no reservation. A woman won't apply for a job unless she meets 100% of the stated criteria. And even then she feels lucky to get the interview. That's fucked up. It is fucked up, but you know what? I, I don't, I don't resonate with that because I've applied for jobs that I was completely not, not qualified for. And but I you're an outlier. I am you're an outlier. An out- yeah. But I also will say that, that I don't think it's fair to say that, that imposter syndrome hits women more because I think impo- imposter h- syndrome hits everyone. Now it may, it may manifest more in women because of the way that we're taught in the patriarchy mm-hmm. to ask for permission mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. things like that. But at the same time, men have confidence issues as well. And, and so I don't want to downplay the issues, you know, for any men who happen to, uh, you know, be, be wandered into yeah. this corner of the web, yeah. right. To, to, you know, who want to understand menopause for the, for the women that they love this, you know, I don't want to diminish the fact that, that you have some of the same struggles. And, and so it, it, it's important. I think this is relevant to, to both genders that, that we really take a look at, what you know when when you start to feel it, the imposter syndrome come up and like I'm not qualified to do this, to to start just really listening. You know you've got to like have that conversation with the voice in your head and say, where are the facts? Hmm. And you know it could be that you really do fall short in some things and you've got to fill a gap. But it's also could be true that you don't fall short at all and there's no gap to fill. And that's hmm. that's where the evidence comes in. Fair enough. So. What I'd like to go on to next is what I'd like to do next is if we could talk a little bit about in the in the bit in the bit of time we have left what a woman can do right now if she thinks that she may have this condition this uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD. Okay. And one thing I, we didn't mention earlier and probably should mention is that most people refer to it as ADD instead mm-hmm. of ADHD. And I think that's another myth and misunderstanding that I didn't mention earlier is that a lot of women don't have the hyperactivity. Okay. The Of the three types of ADHD, there's the hyperactive impulsive that tends to be more males, the inattentive distractible which tends to be more female and the combined type, which has features of both more women tend to be in the inattentive distractible. They're much less likely to be identified ever, but they are usually the ones that become anxious and depressed. So if a woman feels that, shoot, I wonder if this is me, I can tick off all these things. Diane has said about uh, traits. I like to say traits instead of symptoms because it's less stigmatizing. If she resonates with that, 
The book that I usually direct people to is the one uh, Delivered from Distraction by Ned Hallowell. He's kind of the OG in the ADHD world. He has been writing books for well, so many years. He's in his late 60s now and has probably written 20 books on ADHD and adults. He is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist who has ADHD himself and is a perfect example of the fact that it doesn't have to limit you or define you. I would go to that book. I would go to the checklist. Mm-hmm. And if you identify with many of the traits, I would go ahead and read through the book. What most people will say is that I felt seen for the first time by reading the examples in this book. So if that is you, you can also listen to my podcast, The Driven Woman, and there are many others. One I also like is from a peer of mine, Tracy Otsuka, and it's called ADHD for Smart Ass Women. It's a lot of fun. She has very well-researched episodes. Mm. And you kind of say, okay, this could be me. And I'd say the next thing to do is decide. It is important to understand who you are and how you are, because chances are you have been identifying the ADHD traits as character flaws. And there can be a tremendous amount of relief that comes from just understanding that that is not the case. But I also believe knowledge is power. So I would say the first thing then to do is decide Do you want to try to explore whether medication would be a benefit? Don't be talked into it, but don't assume that that's the first thing to do. And you might want to look into working with an ADHD coach. There are many great ones out there, including myself. That's awesome. Where can people find you? My website is Diane Wingert Coaching. Diane has a funny spelling, two N's, no E's. So D-I-A-N-N, Wingert is W-I-N-G-E-R-T. As I mentioned, my podcast is The Driven Woman. I have a weekly uh, podcast, a weekly blog, and I'm all over social media on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's awesome. Well, we'll make sure we hook up your your podcast and your website into our show notes. Thanks so much for coming on and being a part of the menopause movement. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life. And to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. This is why I've created this brand new course called Understanding Your Hormones and Managing Your Menopause. I want to show you how you can get on top of your menopause right now so that you can start to see it as the best time of your life. Now, this course is valued at $500 and is in the beta testing phase. And we're currently accepting applications for women to test it out for us at no charge in exchange for feedback and testimonials. But the best part is because you're a podcast listener, you can bypass the application process and go straight to the front of the line. To register right now, simply visit menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones, and we can get started together right now. Remember, you can get started right now at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials when you go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones, and I'll see you inside the course. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. (music) 